This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. We're starting a new series today called Forever Free. And when we had originally kind of sketched this series out, kind of coming into it, I was like, man, this is the perfect series to follow Easter. Because at Easter, God purchased our freedom on the cross. And we can start by the having some really motivational messages where we can go in and, and encourage people to live in freedom and and as I begin to prepare for this, this is one of those, normally I have like a great idea and I sprint towards the end of the message. This has been one of those weeks where like I really struggled and, and crawled and, and really scraped this one out as I wrestled with the Lord over it. And so today I'm going to insult you a lot. All right, I just want you to know that ahead of time. All right, I'm going to show you some things that the Bible says about us. And really, as we dive into it today, I'm hoping to lay the groundwork biblically for us to understand how to live in freedom as we kind of take the next four weeks and examine the freedom that God wants us to live. See, freedom is a huge issue in the scriptures. Galatians 5.1 says that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. The whole purpose of all of this is to set you free, right? But so many of us aren't experiencing freedom. We're not experiencing the life that we know that God wants us to live. As a matter of fact, I would start by saying this, that it's impossible to solve a problem when you don't know what's wrong. See, that's where many of us are. We're trying to solve a problem, and we don't know what's wrong. When I was a kid and first started driving, right, if there was ever a problem with our car, right, or my car as I was driving, I would pull over to the side of the road, and I would pop the hood, and I would look under the hood, and I would do the only thing that I know how to do, and that's check the oil. Right, that's all I know how to do in a car, right? I can check the oil. If something else is wrong, I, I have learned as things have broken over time what could be wrong, but I don't really know how to fix it. I can't diagnose a problem because I don't understand it. A few, uh, a few years ago when we moved, I, I called one of my friends, Travis, to come over to my house. I said, Travis, my grill's not working. I have no idea how to fix it. You know how to fix things. Could you come over and please fix my grill? And he came over, and he looked at it, and he said, well, man, is this thing going to work? And he turned on the the propane and then press the ignition button and it started and I felt like the worst man I can't even start my own grill it was one of the most emasculating moments in my life but I think for many of us that's how it works we're sitting there looking at the problems but we don't quite understand see the thing is that many of us have been trying to solve the problem of us but we haven't been gaining any traction right we've been trying but we haven't gained any traction so let me just ask you this question right now as we get started, what have you lost in your life because you couldn't solve the problem of you? Are there friendships that you don't have anymore? Are there relationships? Is there family that you're estranged from? How much money have you lost because you couldn't solve the problem of you? How much time? See, how many opportunities have you lost? See, many of us have lost a great deal because we couldn't solve that problem. We couldn't solve the problem of who we are. And the truth is, is that I want to offer a suggestion as we get started, that the problem may be that you don't know what the problem may be. 
The problem may simply be that you don't understand the problem. And so even though you have went out and bought the self-help books, you went on Amazon and said, all right, I want to find a book that is highly rated, that deals with the problem that I have. And some of those books are helpful, but if you've lived long enough and dealt with this, you'll have somebody who comes up to you and says, man, there's this new book out, and it talks about how to overcome, or this new diet book. And if you've lived long enough, every once in a while you go, well, that's the same exact idea that somebody wrote in a book 20 years ago. See, if they could really solve the problem, we'd never need to write a new book. Because we don't understand the problem. And so there are thousands of books on how to overcome fear and how to diet and how to exercise because we've never been able to solve that problem because we probably don't accurately understand the problem. So here, as we get started today, what I want to start is just by asking you a question. If you've worked so hard to solve the problems that you probably know you have, would you let me offer a suggestion over the next few weeks as to what a different solution could be? See, what we're going to do today is we're going to start in the scriptures, and my hope is, is as we dive into the Bible, that you're going to today see what the problem is. Because if we don't accurately understand the problem, we can't accurately work towards a resolution of that problem. And so many of us have misunderstood what the problem is. So I want to start by taking you to Romans 7, where the Apostle Paul in Romans, we're going to camp out in Romans 7 and Romans 5, the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 shares a Bible verse that I think many of us can relate to. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but there's a lot of times I read the Bible and I see Jesus say like things that, that are, are, are like, love your enemies. Forgive those who persecute you. And, and in my heart and even in my head, I go, that is an awesome idea, but I feel like I am thousands of miles away from that. I, I see the validity of it, but I feel, and so what I want to do today as we open is to show you a Bible verse that we all can relate to. And if you've read the Bible and you've said, I can't, I can't relate to that, it feels so far away, I'm going to show you a verse today that we all can relate to, beginning Romans 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do. How many of y'all have been there before? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. You ever been there before? What I want to do, I do not do. All right, our teachers, right, you're coming off a of spring break, right? How many of y'all have ever taken a week off and you just get to spend a week off, and when you take that week off, you write a list of everything you want to do? What's that list look like at the end of the week? It looks pretty much the same, doesn't it? Because the things you want to do, you don't do. But the things you do, you don't really want to do. Have you ever experienced that before? There's some people in here that you deal with some significant things, addictions and fears, and you know that there are things that you don't want to do, but you find yourself doing them anyway. And there are things that you want to do, and you look over and you go, why am I not doing those? See, that's a tension that we all live in. And the next verse, the Apostle Paul is going to say that when I do the things that I know I shouldn't do, I prove that the law is good. Let me talk about that just notion, just so you can understand where he's going with this. See, within us, there is a bent to break the law. Now, law could be understood as um, the law of the land, right? God's law, that's what Scripture is often referenced as, God's plan for a life being God's law. It can even be moral law. You see, when we transgress that, 
when we break the law, when you do the things that you know you shouldn't do, we're actually proving that those standards are good because they let us know that we have broken the law. We have transgressed. We have went across the boundary that we should go. We prove that that's a good thing. I'm so glad that that's there. I'm so glad that I can know that this is where I shouldn't go. That's a good thing to have that. But there's that tension that it leaves where I find myself crossing those boundaries. And I know I'm not supposed to. I know I'm not supposed to be the person that does this, that lies compulsively. I know I'm not supposed to be the person that lusts compulsively. I know I'm not supposed to be the person that's using drugs. I know that I'm not supposed to be the person that's abandoning my family to work harder. But I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do. And the things that I really want to do, I don't find myself doing those. See, I want you to see something as we get started today. This is the first thing in your notes, that we can't even live up to our own standards. We can't even live up to our own standards. How many of y'all know that about yourself? You know that there are good things that you want to do right now, but you haven't even brought yourself to do them yet. There are people that you know that you need to forgive. There are relationships that need to be restored. There are acts of service and kindness that you want to do for other people that you haven't even brought yourself to do it. And you're not even living up to the standards that you've created for yourself. That's what the the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Romans 7. The things I want to do, I don't find myself doing those. And the things I know I should do, I'm not doing those. And the things I find myself doing, I kind of know I'm breaking the law. I'm transgressing. He continues on in verse 19. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. So many of us, when it comes down to it, we've gotten to this place where this may be you, that you have a clue as to what's wrong with you. You may be that person that's here today and you say, I know I have a problem with anger, right? I know that I get angry with people. That's me. That's who I am. You might be the person who's here and you say, I just, I have control issues. I have control. I'm, I'm controlling. I know that's who I am. You might be the person that's here and you say, I'm just, I'm passive, right? I'm, I'm afraid. I'm anxious. You might have a clue as to what's wrong with you, but here's the, the truth. This is in your notes that you haven't solved the problem. As many self-help books as you've read, as much Oprah as you have ingested, right? You have not solved the problem. And I want to spend a moment just kind of telling you why this is so very important. Because there are some of you that are in here that you have lost a great deal to some things that you know you need to walk away from. You have lost relationships. You've lost opportunities. You've lost money. You've lost time. You've lost respect. You've lost sleep. And you know that there are things that God wants you to be free of, and you haven't been free from them. And God wants to set you free. In Galatians 5.1 is that great promise. We're going to camp out in that verse for the next few weeks. But there are some of you that you know God has called you to step into something. You know that God wants you to be a better husband. You know that God wants you to be a better parent. And you know that there's a new level of discipline and relationship that God wants you to experience with him. But there's something that's been holding you back from stepping into that reality. See, this is a vital topic for us to talk about because freedom is not just our capacity to put down the things that are killing us. It is also our capacity to step into the things that give us life. 
And there are so many of us that are doing things that are killing us, and we're refusing to step into the things that bring life. And over the next three weeks, we're going to expose that. But today, my job, between now and the end of this message, is to help you more clearly understand what the problem is. Because if we don't understand the problem, we can't understand the solution. Right? And so, like I said earlier, to do that is going to require me to insult you a little bit. All right? So we're going to go to Romans 5 and begin in verse 6 where the Bible insults all of us. Look at what it says. Romans 5 verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Now, I want you to understand in, in just one simple term who God is. Just one simple understanding of who God himself is. God is perfect. God is perfect. And as a matter of fact, that's not just our understanding of God as a Christian. That's just not just the understanding that the Bible elevates for us to understand who God is. God is good. God is perfect. But that's a generic understanding that applies to all world religions. Every world religion describes God as being perfect. Can I describe you? You are imperfect. I don't know if you know that, but you are imperfect. As a matter of fact, if you came with somebody that you love and you know that they're imperfect, take a moment right now, touch them and tell them you're imperfect. Now, you touch them back and say, I already knew that. (laughs) See, we already know it, don't we? We already know it. And when it comes in light of who God is, right, God is perfect. We are imperfect. We must realize that we are ungodly. We are the ungodly ones. And so the first thing you notice is there is we must understart understanding the problem by understanding that we are ungodly. You see, Christ came when we were powerless, when we were incapable, and he gave his life to rescue us. We are the ungodly ones. So touch that person that you said, hey, you are imperfect. Touch them and say, you are ungodly, real quick. Now touch them back and say, that's why Jesus died for me. Now I want you to see where the Apostle Paul goes with this. All right? He goes some very, very important place with this. It's important because too many of us, even though we live with that understanding that we are ungodly, we are imperfect, there's a subtle thing that creeps into the way that we think about ourselves that actually begins to erode that. I experienced this yesterday at home, not with my wife. All right, just want you to understand that. My daughter walked into the room, and I was putting my shoes on my little boy. And she walked in the room, and she said, Woo! Stinks in here! I said, What? And she said, Clay must have pooped in his pants. And so I checked his pants, and I didn't smell anything, and I said, No, he, he didn't poop, baby. And she said, Well, then you must have pooped in your pants. And I said, No, I, I don't poop in my pants. Maybe you pooped in your pants. And she said, No, Dad, my poop doesn't stink. See, we get into that place very subtly where we think we're above the problem. It can't be my problem. No, I don't stink. It has to be somebody else's problem. But I want you to see where the Apostle Paul goes right after that verse where he says that Christ died for those who are ungodly. 
Look at how he begins to draw a contrast between who God is and who we are. Romans 5, verses 7 and 8. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might be perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. You see, the audience that the Apostle Paul was writing to is very different than this room. As a matter of fact, when he says that God loved us so much that he gave his son and his son died for us while we were sinners, they would actually have been alive when Jesus was executed. And so there would be this reality that they would be kind of confronted with in that verse to say Jesus was executed on one side of the city and here I was on the other side of the city actively working against God. Here Jesus is being executed and here I am leading people away from God. Here Jesus is breathing his last breath, being whipped and beaten. And here I am at the very same moment while I was sinning. Here he is dying for me. You see, he begins to make a sharp contrast between who God is and who we are, especially in the context of the way that God loves us and leads us. This is in your notes. We need to notice in this that the love that God has for us is very different. We, we love in an imperfect way, but God loves in a perfect way. We love in a selfish way, but God loves in a selfless way. Right? We love in a way that is, is entirely viewed in what we get, but God loves in a way that is evaluated by what he gives. God loves us in a very different way. And we see that here, that while we were sinners, Christ gave his life for us. And then, in a very intentional manner, the Apostle Paul is in Romans 5 going to shift gears to start help us, helping us understand the problem that's at work that is keeping us from enjoying the freedom and love that God wants to give us. And he does so in a really complicated way. See, the book of Romans is one of those, if you read it, it is exceptionally uh, cerebral. It, it's it's, it's uh, kind of like reading a textbook. And a lot of uh, scholars who have come before us uh, believe that the Apostle Paul did not write the book of Romans. He didn't sit down and write it as he did many of his letters. As he's in, in kind of uh, in chains inside of a Roman prison, and many people believe that he dictated it. So a lot of this comes off as a conversation where you're listening to him talk. And so as he's trying to help the person that he's dictating the book of Romans to understand where he's talking about the difference between us, the ungodly, and Jesus, the God who is willing to give himself in a beautiful, selfless way, he begins to let us see the problem that was hiding behind the curtain. And he does so by taking us back to the very beginning of the story. In Romans 5.12, he says this, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. This is one of the most complicated ideas in all the scriptures. See, when you and I think about sin, we often think about sin as a verb. You sinned. You lied. You sinned. You cheated. You sinned. You failed. 
But look how the Apostle Paul talks about it in this verse. Sin entered the world. He begins to talk about sin as a noun. Sin is a thing. As a matter of fact, I think that in this verse, he presents sin as, as really an epidemic and disease. Really, if we think about it in that regard, we can compare what we understand about HIV and AIDS to what the Apostle Paul is talking about with sin. It's something that what's infected, it spreads through a bloodline. You know, the interesting thing about HIV and AIDS is that nobody dies from that. HIV attacks our immune systems. And so somebody who dies having contracted HIV or AIDS actually dies from a cold or from a simple illness that a healthy person can fight off real easily. See, the Apostle Paul says, when Adam sinned, Adam was infected by the thing, the noun, sin, and then sin spread through Adam so that not just Adam sinned, but everyone sinned. So when you were born, he goes on to explain, you weren't just born into the world, you were born into Adam. That understanding of sin is very different than the way that we think about sin. I want to show you what it means. Let's let these lemons represent lives of people that we maybe know and love Here's me. Here's me, right? I was born in to Adam. This is Adam. This is the first. This is the container of life that has been tainted by sin. Here's my kids, right? Y'all know, y'all have any kids, right? Between 18 months and two years, the fall of man is evident in them, right? Because they don't want to do anything you ask them to do, right? My kids born into Adam. Here's my sweet wife. We're just going to put her right here for a moment, okay? Here's my parents, born into sin. Here's Billy Graham, Billy Graham right here, born into Adam. Here is Mother Teresa, born into Adam. Here's you, born into Adam. Here is your kids, born into Adam. Here's that loved one that you want to see come to Jesus, born into Adam. Here is that person that you've been praying for, that you've seen struggle with sin, born into Adam. And yes, even my sweet wife, born into Adam. You see, the problem is that we haven't understood what sin is. See, I want you to see today, this is in your notes, that the problem is not your sinning. The problem is not your sinning. As a matter of fact, I think this is one of the places that we fail as parents over and over and over again. Let me give you some advice here, okay? If you're a parent here, your child's issue is not that they lie. There's a deeper issue behind their behavior. Your child's issue is not that they cheat. Your child's issue is not that they won't listen to you. There's a deeper issue that always lies behind their behavior. And we generally are obsessive about behaviors. We start to think about ourselves by thinking about behaviors. We start to analyze our our lives by thinking about behaviors. And we try to fix our behaviors. But your problem is not your sinning. The problem is deeper than that. The problem is that you were born a sinner. 
The problem is not your verb sinning. The problem is the noun that you were born a sinner. And when you try to fix something that cannot be fixed, all you're going to be left with is frustration. See, I want you to see the hope that the Apostle Paul begins to uncover for us as we journey further into Romans 5. Because the gospel itself doesn't leave us in that reality. It doesn't leave you just simply a sinner. See what he says here in Romans 5, 15. There is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Now, this is this moment where he begins to blow our minds. Because he says, listen, you need to understand that sin entered through Adam. This is the entry point of the infection. Everyone who came after him had been infected. One man's actions led to the death of everyone. But even greater, even greater is the gift that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. Even greater. So if death entered the world through one man, even greater is the gift of God that came through the death and resurrection of Jesus. If death entered, then by the gift that God has given us through Jesus, life is now available to everyone. See, he's telling us that this doesn't have to be the end of the story. That we can experience new life by being rescued to Jesus. That, that family member that you've seen struggle with addiction can be rescued. Your kids, your kids that have been estranged from you and estranged from God can be rescued. Billy Graham, the great minister and evangelist, at one point gave his life to Jesus and was rescued into Jesus. My kids, my kids that I'm praying for to be rescued, my life rescued, my mom and dad's life rescued, my family that I'm praying for to be rescued, our neighbors to be rescued, my generations to come, the future of our family, and yes, even even my wife rescued into Jesus. You see... God doesn't leave us to sin. He made a way out. And I want you to see something that's vastly important because when we start talking about this in our culture, in our day and time, the way that we talk about this is about heaven. That God took us out of death and brought us into life so that we can go to heaven one day. And I want you to see that this discourse that the Apostle Paul is having has absolutely nothing to do with heaven. Look at it. Look at what he says in the very next verse. If by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, 
how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, look at this, reign in life. Reign in life. You see, so many of us have relegated the gospel of Jesus to saying, what God's going to do is change my eternity. After I die, I don't have to go to hell. I get to go to heaven. But I want you to understand that the freedom that God had designed for you is not simply something that you get to enjoy after you die. It is for this moment right now that he paid for you to be released into freedom right now for you to come out of death into life he's already paid so that in this moment you can be the person who overcomes you see sin trapped us but jesus purchased our freedom sin trapped us but Jesus purchased our freedom. So what would life look like for you if instead of trying to be a better version of a person who was living in Adam, you're just trying to get better, I'm just trying to be a little bit better than I was yesterday, just trying to lie a little bit less, What if we could start living in what God says is true of you already? And one of my favorite stories that Jesus tells in Luke 15, he talks about two brothers and a son who had ran away, a a son who had stayed back, and their father who was providing for them and taking care of them. The son who went away squandered all the money that he took from his dad and he came home and thought at best he could become a servant. Do you think there are some of us here that we've squandered the life that we have because we've been so compulsively addicted to something? And the father looked at that son and said, you're not just going to be my servant, you're my son. And he threw a robe on him and welcomed him back into the family. But I think there are many that are around here that are like the older son, who refused to go into the party where they were welcoming this younger son home. He was mad because he had been the one who stayed back. He had been faithful. He had tried. But he wasn't entering into the, the joy that was present. And the father came out to see him. And as the story comes to a conclusion in Luke 15, He says, why won't you come in? He said, how could you do this? I've stayed back and served you. I've given you everything I have. How can you squander all this on a son that wasted everything? And he looks at him and he says these words. Everything I have has always been yours. It was already yours. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try. What you have to do is learn to live in what's true. For the next few weeks, we're going to help you do that. Because I believe that there are many of us in here who are on the verge of breaking through into something that God has designed for you. And there are many of us who are looking to break out of something that has held us back. And I don't want you to miss out on what God has for you. So join us for the next few weeks as we begin to really dive into this topic of freedom. 
because I believe it's going to be important for us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for a chance to be examined by your scriptures. God, as we've looked into the heart of what you have for us, many of us realize that we are not living this life that you want. God, many of us are, are the, the person who has, has tried to be better. We've tried to be a better version of someone who is born into death, but it's impossible to solve that problem. But God, you've given us a way out through the death of your son, Jesus. And if we'll receive that gift today through your grace and mercy, we can step from death into life. So I want everyone to bow their heads. Everyone bow your head today. I want to ask you a question. Just don't think about who you're sitting next to. Don't think about what's going on. I want you to really evaluate where you are. Are you just trying to be a better version of yourself? Or are you letting the life of Jesus live through you? Because there are some of us today that know that that's the decision that we want to make right now. If you're that person, you say, I've just been trying to be better, but I realize today that God wants something more than that, and I want it for me. Raise your hand right now if that's you. I'm tired of just trying to be better. I want to be who God wants me to be. Raise your hand if that's you. For those people that are here today, God, we just pray for them. We pray and we ask that you be strong in their lives. Lead them and guide them. Now I have a question for everyone else. Everybody keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to think about this. If you're here and you know that there's something in your life that God wants you to step out of, or there's something in your life that you know God has called you to step into, but you have not experienced that level of freedom, but you're going to be praying for the next few weeks, I want to start by you just saying, God, help me. Raise your hand if that's you. I want to step out of something. I want to step into something new. If that's you, raise your hand. Awesome. So God, for those that are here that need freedom, God, over the next few weeks as we begin to look at it, what it would take for us to stop living in our efforts, but us to step into the reality of what you've already purchased for us. God, I just pray that you, through your glorious Son, would lead us, guide us through the Holy Spirit, open the doors that we need, Show us what we need to change. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.